This is the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour. Kane Pittman and Olga Norwich back. And of course, we have to start this podcast by saying Merry Christmas to everyone that listens to our podcast week in, week out. And uh, especially to you as well, Olgan. And uh, right now for me, it's Christmas night. It's around 6 p.m. for you, uh, the morning after. And look, we did... Boxing day. It's Boxing Day, and we did think that we were going to podcast a little bit earlier, but uh, you had a little bit of a sleep in, so I'm expecting a really fresh Olgan <laughs> bringing the takes on this podcast. Why the shame? I was I, I attended the, the Sydney Kings Illawarra Hawks game yeah. last night, the Christmas night game. They're an enjoyable game to be at, mm-hmm. and it just when a game finishes, you you speak to a lot of people, and by the, by the time you're in your car heading home, it's midnight or one o'clock and so it just it takes a bit of time to 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 complete a game recover from it go to sleep i have to be well rested for this podcast of course otherwise you will yell at me again um so so leave leave me be i'll tell you one thing that i like about christmas um is that it's just it's an it's a hell of a good icebreaker when you're seeing people because you see you see someone you haven't seen in in a few weeks yes like oh like good to see you Merry Christmas. Oh, Merry yes. Christmas to you. What'd you do today? And you just get a good like one and a half minutes of conversation uh, without any awkwardness. Yeah. And we know, Olga, I've seen you do it before as well. Uh, you're obviously a big name now. And sometimes you know, people will know you that you might not quite remember their name. And I've seen this before. And then if you're at a game, <laughs> they've got the credential on and you can have the sneaky little look down and see who you're talking to. I've seen you pull that move before. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. I've done that a few times. I've also mastered the ah, good to see you. Yes, as though I, I may, I may or may not have seen you before, but now it's good to see you. I'm never gonna, I never go with good to meet you anymore. I've learned my lesson. Well, no, you're a veteran in this cape, but let's get to some basketball. Though. That's what we're here to do. Now, full <laughs> disclaimer at the start of this podcast. So I've just come back from Bucks and Knicks and the NBA Christmas Day games. They're continuing to roll on. You were at. Uh, Sydney and Illawarra uh, yesterday as we're recording this podcast. So we're going to talk about Sydney, Illawarra in depth a little bit more. We're going to go back to the open air game, um, but probably not as much talk from the Tasmania Southeast Melbourne game, just because we both uh, weren't watching uh, those full games at this point as we record this pod. So just for the Phoenix fans, they had a massive win down in Tassie, and I understand uh, they might be wanting to hear a bit of Phoenix chat on this pod, but that's the reason for that. So let's start with Sydney and Illawarra. Uh, you were in the building, and this Christmas Day, a uh, second time now uh, for the Sydney Kings. Uh, what did you sense this year, building on last year? Because I know you were also uh, there last year. So from like the, so from like the atmosphere and logistics standpoint, before we hit like the court, um, it felt a bit more organised this year. It felt like people were like on purpose, from the the crowd to the people working in the arena. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Last time it was like, this is oh, this is the first time we've done this. Hmm. Some people were volunteering. No one really knew how to act. No one really works this day ever. And so that was a weird thing last season. This season, it felt like, it just felt like another game with like the little hint of Christmas just like trickled throughout the whole arena and all that. Um, it, there was still Paul Smith, sort of thanking everyone involved, including the opposition players and everyone involved with that team just for agreeing to be a part of this because obviously it's a unique thing to be a part of but having it be the two new south wales teams makes a lot of sense uh the hawks guys got to wake up in wollongong and if they have kids there are many of them who have kids but they got to sort of spend christmas with their family in the morning and then 
head to Sydney later in the morning. So they, it was able to work out really well logistically for the families and the players too. Um, on the court, it was the same script for Sydney Kings, which is come out red hot, really strong with like a flow. Uh, offense looked like it was clicking. Defensively, things were connected. They jump out to what I think the biggest lead was an 18-point lead. And then complacency sets in. <laughs> they, they look a little bit loose. They get outworked. And all of a sudden, we get to halftime, and it's a really, really close game. The Hawks are, are right back in it. I think it was a one-possession game at that point. And at that point, it's just teams sort of trading leads, going back and forth until at the end of the game, the, the Hawks pull away with it. They just, they made the plays down the stretch. They made the effort plays. Lockie Olbrick was huge. Uh, you know, Justin Robinson hit the back, the shot off the backboard that gave the Hawks the lead. And so, again, same same old story for Sydney. Kings jumping out to a big lead, seemingly getting really loose with it. And the Hawks are not a team that you can mess around with these days. They're not like the Hawks of the first few rounds of the season. They're a, Hawk, they're a Hawks team that will fight and will work and will lean into their talent and... That's a big win for them. That keeps whatever limb hope of their, their playing hopes are, that keeps that alive. So I think generally, and we discussed the Hawks last week, and I've been saying, look, I just think it's going to be a long road back uh, for them to get into the playing mix. And I think a big reason for that just continues to be, and we'll probably talk about it a bit later, the fact that uh, I can't predict what's going to happen night to night. But the one thing I was looking forward to this two-game set for the Hawks was seeing them against really good offensive teams to see how this defense held up. Now, they did get blown out a couple of nights earlier against Tassie, and they were down by 20-plus points at halftime. And this was really the first time they've been in a situation like that under Justin Tatum. And, you know, I was sitting there thinking, okay, well, here we go. If they get blown out again on Christmas, we'll say, well, they had a nice little run, but the opposition wasn't that strong. They're still the Hawks that we've seen. Uh, maybe a little bit improved, but they're still the Hawks that we've seen. Uh, maybe it was the perfect bounce-back matchup to play the Sydney Kings because we know historically, even over the last few years, when the Hawks haven't been uh, one of the teams pushing for the postseason, they've definitely been in competitive games against the Kings. And as I watched this game down the stretch, the Kings had the lead. There was only one point, but they had the lead with around five minutes to go in this game. Scores were tired uh, going down the stretch, and it was all set up for the Kings to just get the job done. I'm glad you mentioned Lockie Ulbrich because I thought him defensively in a few of those minutes he was playing alongside Sam Froelin as well and having the two bigs out on the floor, uh, everyone was scrapping, everyone was scrambling. And honestly, we've discussed what does it mean if you change coach, but I was watching the way the team was de uh, defending and buying into the defense. And I was thinking, well, this is a team that cares about playing for Justin Tatum. And they look like they are fully bought in whether or not they can uh, make a run this season but defensively I was so impressed because I thought it was scrappy from both sides on the offense down the stretch yeah and I think a lot of people after that game would have pointed what Lockie Albrecht did on the other end as far as offensive rebound degrading second shots some of his finishes around the rim um, but I agree defensively uh, there was that that hard show and strip of Jalen Adams there yep. was just he's he has like a mobility to him that against the Sydney Kings team is difficult because the Sydney Kings went back to switch and everything. Uh, the Hawks were not against playing that big lineup with Oldbrick and Froling on the floor together. And they also were not shy at all. The entire game of throwing inside, it was going into to Froling and, and, and Oldbrick and Gary Clark the entire game, basically just attacking the mismatches. Um, and I think people 
I don't think talk about enough when it comes to that Sydney King switching defense is that it's very hard to rebound out of because all of a sudden you are mismatched on someone who's probably bigger than you. Uh, you're you're perhaps out of position. Smalls in the paint. That opened the door for someone. Yeah, it opened the door for someone like Ulbrich to come in, grab a lot of offensive rebounds. I think he had five other boards. They created a lot of second chance points. Uh, I think they had 11 more shots in total. And if you're giving a team 11 more shots, that's that. You, I don't think you're gonna you're gonna win games that way. Um, and so it sort of opened the door for Ulbrich to come in and have his breakout game of the season. We've been waiting for this from him after his really good blitz and. He'd been given spot minutes up until this point, so he hasn't really been able to get in a groove, figure out where his spots are, where he fits. He had a good game against Brisbane a few weeks ago, but they hadn't really had that game where it's like, oh, you you can be a legitimate you know, game-winning player for, for this team. This was that game. Um, and with the way that Sam Froling has been playing lately, he had 20-8 and eight in this one, and just they just kept feeding it down low, and he was feasting on, on the mismatches inside. They have a, a really interesting big situation on top of Gary Clark, who I think is just really solid and reliable. Um, like this was this was a great win for this Hawks team. I think that they're, they're more talented than people think, but I, I do think the ceiling is a bit shorter because I don't know how much I trust Justin Robinson. I don't know how much I trust Tyler Harvey night in and night out, but they've got the pieces to to challenge you every night. And we're going to talk about the the latter and. <laughs> The parity of, at the very least, the the, the set seed to the ninth seed, uh, and Ulbrick is a big reason why the Hawks are right in the mix of, of all those teams as well. Yeah, and a nice sign for the Hawks. You mentioned Tyler Harvey. A nice sign that he went five for nineteen, and they were able to overcome that and still score ninety four points mm-hmm. as a team as well. Because oftentimes we've seen those types of shooting nights uh, from Tyler Harvey, and the Hawks haven't been able to overcome it. Overall, forty six to thirty six in the paint going the way of Illawarra and the game winner, kind of the clinching basket, uh, Gary Clark, and it was it was banging down low. And then it was little turnarounds, yep. uh, hook shot, glass, and the Hawks were able to pick up this win. As for the Sydney Kings, I found myself again watching this game in the final few minutes and we look at, they started and we discussed it last week and we had so much praise for Jalen Galloway who absolutely deserves it. We've pumped up Alex Tui all season because he deserves it. But when you have got those two young guys starting, it's tough. You don't see young teams in this league generally thrive now. Maybe the Cairns Taipans last year was an anomaly there. And then you've got uh, DJ Hoke. So maybe it's fitting that he's now playing with these younger guys. But I was just watching the offense. And they would, uh, if it wasn't going to be Jalen Adams, I just didn't have a lot of confidence that they had someone that was going to break down that defense and score. They they weren't able uh, to get buckets down the stretch. And they're now 9-8. and eight. You, spent, you talked about the latter. They're nine and eight. They've basically mm. been a five hundred team. It's unthinkable. Yeah, um, nine and eight, and I've got to check. But have they lost four of their last six or something like that? So they're, they're yeah. trending in, in, in not a great direction. Um, you know, there's some trust in in Jalen Adams, and obviously he's super talented. DJ Hogue's shot wasn't falling last night, and so that could be mentioned too. I I thought he got some good looks. I thought there were some rushed looks. Um, 11 of but, his 15 shots were threes. How do you feel about that? I, I, we know the Kings do shoot a lot of threes, uh, but we've also seen DJ Hogue last year efficient within the perimeter. I think there can be a little bit more variation in that shot distribution. I agree. And Mahmoud Abdel-Fatah mentioned it in a way last night. 
uh, in the sense that they do so many good things to start games. And that's what helps them build these leads. And then they just go away from them. And and it's just it's just active settling, whether it's DJ Hogue settling for threes when in the first quarter, I want to say first few baskets or the first few attempts were at the rim. First bucket was was him, you know, pop faking, getting on the rim. We know we, we know he can excel doing that. Um, and then I get the Hawks did do a decent job of just clogging the paint. But a lot of stuff was working to start the game. The, the Kings were playing with like a pace to start the game. There was a flow to what they were doing. They were pushing the ball, advancing it early, getting the ball through hands real quickly. As soon as the fourth quarter hit, for the, the minutes of this game that you were able to watch, Kane, like, what did you see? Did you just see, like, Jalen Adams on ball in the half court the entire possession? Granted, the Kings had to be pulling the ball out of the net every time, too. They When you don't guard well, you can't really run well. And so they were going up against a set, a big set defense. Like, they were a big team, the Hawks. But I think it, the game just slows down a lot. The ball's in Jalen Adams' hands when you generally trust it there. But it just it's super predictable, I think. Yeah, and that's not a bad offense to run, by the way, Jalen Adams in the pick and roll, because you know that he can get his shot. And he's actually, uh, I don't think uh, there's enough discussion about the way he can facilitate as well. But I think that was kind of the thing with this yeah. this lineup down the stretch. Quatnoy was playing some minutes in, in that moment, and he actually hit a go-ahead three with around four and a half minutes left in this game. But yeah, I, I thought outside of someone getting the, the second pass and being in the corner, DJ Hogue missed a couple of threes, or it was just forcing it against the two big lineup and this, this aggressive Hawks defense, uh, there wasn't a lot of shots where I looked at it and thought, okay, if it's not Jalen Adams, someone else can create something here. So I don't really know what the answer is. We've seen last year, obviously there was, there was Bruce minutes down the stretch. There was Glover who had big moments for this team. He probably hasn't had... His best season, I'm sure he he would say that. So I, I think for the Kings at the moment, it, it's it's a question of uh, whether they do have enough offensive creators. I think DJ Hogue is a decent answer here. Denzel Valentine, we know, has had some big games as well. Um, but they also don't, coming back to that point about the stuff they do early in games, I haven't watched the Kings over this last four or five games and thought, this is a team that's really desperate to win. And we saw it a little bit mm. against Tassie, but that came on the back of a lot of talk during the week that the Kings were really skidding and they that game they were all in. And, they, and it looked like a different Sydney Kings yeah. team, a different level of urgency. So I don't know whether it's true and I'm sure it's a hard thing for them to even get a read on, but they look like a team that's kind of cruising. They just look like they're in cruise control. But as we said, when you're nine and eight, you don't really have any reason to, to look like that. And you can't do that in the NBL, especially when yep. the only the, the top two teams are safe, right? You don't you don't want to be in the third or fourth seed because you don't want to go up against the, this Hawks team in a playing game. And what what's going to happen? What Lucky Albrecht goes off again? Maybe Hyunjung Lee does what he did and hits a bunch of trees. Uh -huh. like you, you just don't want to play a playing. You you just like the ideal situation if you're any of these teams hunting for a top four spot is to not be in the three or four. You could be in those top two spots. Um, you're bang on with the whole urgency thing. And it's, it's something that I've noticed with all of these losses. And it's, it's, it's a, they come out to these big leads and then they just relax. And I asked Geordie Hunter about this in the press conference after the game on who do they lean on? We, we speak about Avia Cooks as someone who they miss. And of course, you miss him from a basketball perspective. He was the MVP, and, and that's natural. But I think that 
I think the Kings are currently very, very talented. I don't think they need Xavier Cooks from a basketball perspective to be a successful team. I think they need a Xavier Cooks, a version of Xavier Cooks, mm. as like a lead by example. Um, when the, so I think I thought the Kings got some really iffy calls in the second quarter. I thought the Hawks, I thought the, the whistle was favorable to the Hawks. When 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 happens, who's the guy that says, "Okay, here's some adversity." I'm going to lead by example. Everyone jump on my back. Lean on my energy and I'll get you through this. Xavier Cooks was that guy. I don't know if there's a version of that guy in this lineup. It, it, it's ostensibly Sean Bruce. It's maybe like an Angus Glover, but I, Glover doesn't get the opportunity to do that. Sean Bruce, I don't know if he's good enough to do that. You you want it to be one of your star players. Um, and that's, that's an issue. They need someone who's going to step up, even like a Justin Simon from last season, hmm. who's going to step up and say like, you have you guys have to work up to my level. Like you're not going to outwork me, but I'm going to work for 40 minutes in this game, and then you guys have to come along for the ride. Every all, all their guys, just it's just the nature of the character of those guys. They're just really relaxed dudes. Jalen Adams, like sort of a floater. DJ Hogue isn't, isn't some loud mouth guy. He's like a soft spoken dude. And so I'm I'm curious how you overcome that when I don't know if there's anyone personnel wise to be that. But I think that's, again, it, it sounds so simple. It sounds too simple to say that I think they're talented. I think basketball wise do a ton of good stuff. But it's just mentally and from an urgency perspective, there's just no one who's who's their leader. Friday nights against the Cairns Taipans for the Kings coming up next. So it doesn't get any easier, but that's the nature of the NBL as we've already discussed. Uh, speaking of 500 teams, uh, I know you didn't catch the start as you were in uh, Sydney for that other game, but the Phoenix able to close out the Jack Jumpers in the fourth quarter. And remember, this was coming off the back of getting blown out by those Cairns Taipans just a couple of nights earlier. Mm. So if you had said, what is the uh, most likely upset on Christmas Day? I probably would have said the Hawks beating the Kings because of a lot of the stuff we've discussed, even though uh, I, I did expect Sydney would Would you have said that? If you ask me what was more unlikely, because I just would not have predicted that the Phoenix can go on the road on Christmas, two days after they looked like that against the Cairns Taipans, uh, still injury depleted. I, I would have said that the Phoenix would be a bigger upset over Tassie than the Hawks beating the Kings. I think. Oh, no, I agree. Yeah. I agree with. I agree with. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, I, I, I wasn't listening to you. you so, um, no, is, I agree with you. This is a massive win. I, yeah. uh, for, this is a massive win for this team, for this Phoenix team. Uh, to just keep themselves afloat right now because we know that they are just trying to battle along without Mitch Creek. And look, there was a couple of good contributors in this game. Uh, we asked what was going to be the impact of Abdul Nader who comes into this squad. And honestly, when we talked about the top-end talent of the Phoenix, it was just another guy that you thought that you could rely on to play 25 minutes and you can lean heavily on And He hasn't really shot the ball all that well so far. But he's playing big minutes on a team that I know uh, you have uh, certainly had some concerns over the depth and what they're able to do down the roster. Yeah, uh, the the swing is enormous. They if they if they lost this, they are not just out of the six, but if they lost this, I just think this would have been a continuation of like a spiral of just loss after loss. I just it, it would have just it would have felt just mentally just so difficult for this team to recover uh and it, it's cool that they 
again, I, I have to watch, I, I watched like the last five or six minutes of it, just as it was going to turn out. Um, I'm interested to see what they did defensively because I thought they were really bad defensively the last few games, just because I think the lack of bodies um, and then other teams jump on you and you sort of, you lose hope and then everything starts to fall apart after that. And so to hold Tazzy team to 77 points, which is also something we're talking about, um, yeah, that's really impressive. Uh, there was a lot of talk I saw online, and again, I can't wait to go watch it, on Anna Williams had three fouls in the second quarter. Mike Kelly put him back in. He had four fouls in the second quarter. So I want to know how the hell this man managed to stay on the floor and play 24 minutes. Um, big game from Gary Brown, who yeah, he had 20, 11, and 6, um, and he had been poor. I, I think he, he hadn't been able to take the reins of this team. And they needed a big game from him if they wanted any hope in this one. And then the the shot that I saw was I I went into that final quarter and Ben Air was having a horrible shooting night. He makes the biggest shot of the night, hitting a, a deep three over over hand to basically to seal the win. It was to give him a two possession lead and basically put it out of reach for the Jack Jumpers. Um, honestly, like really like gutsy win from this team that looked like it was they were ready to lose all hope it looked like they're ready to to shut it down close the book give up on the season um and the other thing worth mentioning is will magne went out at the end of that game with a non-contact injury that looked really awkward uh he looked like in a really weird sense of pain and the early sort of word that's coming out is that it may not be great and so if that's the case with the way the jack jumpers uh offense is trending downwards and how important he was to their defense. The hope for them is that this isn't a serious injury at all, but it, it doesn't sound like it's it doesn't sound like it's great. So there are some concerning signs for the Jack Jumpers, but all the credit in the world to the Phoenix because this was a legitimately great win for them. Yeah, and we just discussed Will Magne on last week's episode and just uh, what he sort of means to the potential ceiling of this Jack mm-hmm. Jumpers team. So that would just be uh, absolutely awful if that is something that's sidelines uh, magnate for a little stretch here uh, you mentioned alan williams so it's interesting this is just off the box score but it's, it's a funny line for alan williams because we know he's such a physical player we know he lives at the free throw line and he goes four for 15 uh, uh sorry five for 17 overall uh, but he doesn't attempt a single free throw and he only has six rebounds as well so uh when i go back to watch it we'll see whether he toned down the physicality a little bit just to stay out on the floor because that is <laughs> that's some unusual numbers there uh for big source uh, the other thing that stands out from a, a tazzy point of view and this was one of the things that i discussed uh last week on the show talking about the tazzy jack jumpers and the way they finished the game against the perth wildcats and it was getting really destroyed on the glass late in the game, which allowed the Perth Wildcats second and third opportunities. And and ultimately they were able to pick up a close win. So in this game, you have 24 offensive rebounds for the Southeast Melbourne Phoenix and second chance points, 22 to 10. So uh, for this Jack Jumpers team, that's always been scrappy, always sort of won those battles or at least drawn level. That is a, just a little bit of a watch. I think over the next little stretch here for the Jack Jumpers on the glass, I mentioned that game against the Perth Wildcats. Let's get to a game that, again, you were at uh, this week. You were busy. The open-air game. And my question for you, the Perth Wildcats uh, ran very close to a, a big upset over Melbourne United. They ran out of gas a little bit at the end. Did you walk away from this game and everything you saw thinking, 
okay, yeah, the Perth Wildcats are actually legit and they could cause Melbourne United some troubles? Or did you see enough in this game where you actually walked away thinking, actually, I think that was the best shot the Wildcats got and they weren't able to close it out? Keeping in mind that they do have a good record against Melbourne in the past. Yeah, I think I think they're a good matchup against Perth. Again, against Melbourne. Um, I think the Wildcats, I just think they have a d- decent athleticism and, and enough size, maybe. Or it might just be the mobility of someone like a Keanu Pinder that causes some issues for, for JLA and Book Porty. Um, I, I just think they match up decently well against them. I think Bryce always seems to get up for those games too. Um, and he very much got up for this one. Um, like, dude, this was like a really impressive effort from Perth. They Perth should have won this game. Uh, I thought Melbourne sort of looked flat in the first half, especially until they picked it up a little bit. Um, but this ended up turning into one of the best games of the season. But yeah, on Perth, I I think I think there's there's talent there. Um, I don't. The, the the reliance on Bryce is something that does scare me. It's the sustainability of that is I I don't I don't know about it. Um, playing him forty minutes and forty five minutes, I don't know how sustainable that is, that is or conducive that is to success in the long run or like pulling together games. This road trip is going to be huge for them, and seeing how that plays out. He just played forty five minutes, uh, so we're recording this on Tuesday. He plays in Cairns tonight, and then they have a game in Adelaide. Granted, we we don't think of the Taipans and 36ers as like the top-tier teams. Cairns isn't an easy place to play in, and Adelaide is coming off a win at home uh, against the Bullets. And so we'll see if, you know, all this traveling, is Bryce going to continue playing these minutes? I don't know if the Perth Wildcats did anything to, like, separate themselves in my mind from, like, the rest of that middle pack. Still, I'm, I'm at a point where I think, like, two to nine are basically as good as each other or, or there's no team every team has the uh, advantage that they have but overall they're largely the same in my mind um but this would be a fun matchup to see because every time these two teams go at each other i think the wildcats i think they're in melbourne's head a little bit as well i think the way they've competed in games against melbourne they they've shown that hey like we're a good matchup for you and we can we can beat you. They beat them before. Uh, I think Perth stole that last one in Melbourne. I think Melbourne stole this one in Melbourne. I also just want to watch the Wildcats play right now because I want to watch Bryce. And I thought it was fascinating in the post-game press conference. I think you asked the question, but it was about Bryce going off for 36 uh, points and he was outstanding. And down the stretch, you did just believe that he was going to hit some shots that would help the Wildcats get over the line. And Dean Vickerman kind of referenced the fact that, hey, he played 45 minutes. We kept this man to only 20 shots. Now, that's not totally true because he also went to the free throw line nine times as well and was completely dominant. So I always find it interesting because uh, the Perth Wildcats fans I saw on social media were really angry about the defensive attention. We know that Melbourne United with this backcourt, particularly with Shea Illy and Daly when he's on the floor, um, they're going to be physical and they're going to try and get away with some stuff. And it's not a new storyline to hear that Bryce Cotton should get more calls. Bryce Cotton should get to the free throw line. Um, But I thought that this was, again, just a completely dominant game. But it was a shame down the stretch because he did look fatigued. And I know on the broadcast, they mentioned that perhaps he was cramping a little bit. I don't know what you saw uh, in arena from your vantage point. 
But when you looked at him playing the 45 minutes and then you looked at uh, the other side and Golding played 37 and uh, Ian Clark was down at 31. And those were the guys. It was those two guys scoring for Melbourne United. And then it was Bryce Cotton on the other end. And he played over a quarter more basketball than those two guys combined. So it's no surprise that he fatigued down the stretch. Um, but it was a little bit of a shame. Yeah. The Wildcats are a chance because he can do the most outrageous stuff. I think for the Wildcats in the end, it was just a shame that they didn't clinch this game in regulation because they did clearly run out of gas. Yeah. Um, so I don't I don't think he Rice was cramping. From what I saw in the arena, it just it looked like he might have just banged knees or just gotcha. had a had a weird fall and then sort of limped back for a possession or two. I think he was I think he was okay. Uh, uh, to the game, it was very funny. Uh, I, I ask, so we all agree that Shea Ely is probably the best defender in the league. Uh, at the very least, he's the most annoying defender. Like he's an absolute yeah. pest because just he because he plays up and in. Um, and sometimes there is the perception that he's fouling. I think he just plays very physical. Does he get away with a lot? I think I think he gets away with a little bit. Um, but in the same way that. He will get superstar attention on the defensive end. Bryce gets superstar calls on the other end. So everything is gen- generally evens out. Um, I When I asked Bryce about it, what's it like to be hounded by Shea Ely for 45 minutes? He he made it, it was very, he just, he downplayed it a lot. He made it seem like, oh, it's, it's just like any other night. It's normal. Like, I don't believe, I don't, I don't believe that. I, I appreciate that if he tries to deny Bryce and always has someone that's like, that's basically connected to Bryce for the entire time he's on the floor. We know Ely is a different beast in that regard. Um, so I thought it was funny that they didn't want to give them any sort of mental edge at all. Uh, the shots that Bryce was hitting were extremely tough. Sometimes he was able to use the sort of the leverage that Ely was playing on him with and use that to bounce off him and, and get open in other areas. And I thought the Wildcats, I thought his teammates did a good job of finding him in those spots. I thought Keanu Pinder did a good job finding him. Jesse Wagstaff, Hiram Harris. Like, if, if Ely's going to overplay in one, one area, Bryce is going to counter it and find ways to get open. He would do that in the first quarter. The connection between him and Pinder was really cool. We saw some really good flashes. We I think we also saw some of the deficiencies of this team, which is Ty Webster had 3,000 in the first quarter. Uh, this is not ideal. They need a point guard on the floor if Bryce is going to be on the floor. Just to take a lot of that pressure off Bryce. I thought that was an issue. Uh, and Ty Webster just has to be more disciplined than that. And then speaking of discipline, Jordan Usher has to be way more disciplined on both ends. Mm. Whether it's whether it's staying attached to Ian Clark, who right now is the hottest shooter in the NBL, or that's the other end when, you, when you're when you up four. Yeah. And there's 30 seconds left. Hold the ball, the my friend. Hold it. Just don't, you don't have to, you don't have to drive and kick. You don't have to be a hero. Just hold the damn ball. Uh, and that might have been enough to cost them the win because Chris Golding then goes and hits a really tough three in Cotton's face. Bryce splits a pair of free throws. JLA somehow has his first free throw rattle in. It bounced up in the air, went down. Um, and then that goes to overtime. And I thought that I just think United has more depth and had more legs under him to then go and get that win in overtime. So you can't... This is something that we hear about melt a lot which is you can't give them an inch because they will absolutely take it from you you can't one little mistake and they will make you pay for it um but this was 
I, I don't as as I, I didn't think this was Melbourne's best game. I thought I thought this was a good game from Perth, so I wouldn't want to take away from what Perth did. They're they're clearly like a legitimate team and a legitimate threat to Melbourne United matchup wise. Um but also I don't know how to judge these teams. As I I've got one good team, one bad team, and then heaps of teams in the middle. That's that's where I am at this point. And I just wonder, we haven't really discussed this prospect because you mentioned the depth and this was really Melbourne being able to flex how versatile they can be because this wasn't a great night for Daly. He played 19 minutes. He was minus 12 on the box score as well, 0 for 5 from the field. So it wasn't his night. That's fine. I think he's still a bit hampered by yeah. that by that knee that he's been dealing with the past few weeks. Yeah, but it's okay because you can just put Ian Clark in there for 30 plus minutes. Now, I think everyone assumes that Ian Clark's probably just going to walk in and grab the sixth man of the year award. But I definitely watched this game and see how United were able to close uh, close out the Wildcats and do it on the offensive end. We know how good they are defensively. And I do wonder if we get to the postseason whether Dean Vickerman's just going to say, look, I'm playing Ian Clark 30-plus minutes. He's starting. I know he's come off the bench all season. But let's put the best players on the floor from the start of the game. We know he can close regardless. Maybe it doesn't matter so much, but I certainly did wonder that. Uh, as I was watching this game as well. And then the other point is, JLA fouls out. It's okay, because we've got Ariel Hook-Porty. He can come in the game as well. So they've just got too many options on this team right now compared with some of the other teams. As we wrap up the NBL chat here, we might just... We, we, we've done it the last few weeks, maybe some quick thoughts on Dante Exum as well. Dallas Mavericks, not too far away from playing as mm. I record this. But the NBL ladder next week, we'll be able to dive into uh, a bunch of these teams a little bit more that we didn't get to on today's show. But... You know, Perth are now snuck up into the top two as it currently stands. This could change in a few hours' time. Uh, but as you pointed to, then there is just a huge bunch of teams. Tassie on eight losses in third, all the way down to Illawarra on nine losses in ninth. So it's a mixed bag. Everyone's beaten everyone. There's upsets left, right, and center. But what is an upset? Maybe maybe we should just stop using that word altogether. These teams are just very similar. Yeah. Agreed. And that's why last night, Hawks over Sydney. I, I don't know if that's an upset at this point. Um like we we go into these games with like a favorite, right? Um, and there is a team that is favored to win, but I don't think, unless it's, again, unless it's Melbourne on one end of it, or unless it's Adelaide on one end of it, I don't know how big that that range is. I, I honestly think that these are the expectations should be that sure there is a team that will be favored to go into every game based on matchups and their, their form at, the, at that moment, but I don't know if. There's like a far and away favorite in any game that doesn't involve either Melbourne or Adelaide. I, I think that's where this league is right now. Like when you look at the two teams that are sitting closest to Adelaide, you got the Illawarra and New Zealand. They're two teams I don't want to play right now. If I'm if I'm the Jack Jumpers, I don't want to play either of those teams. If I'm Perth, I don't want to play either of those teams because I think those two teams might be favored to go into those matchups. And so this league is really funky. Uh, the la- the position of of the ladder may feel maybe just redundant at this point. I think yeah. just how close these teams are. You, the the second to ninth, I think there's like four games separating us. That can change in an instant. So this could be a really fun back end of the season. I I'm getting a feeling that percentage is going to matter. So we're going to see some teams trying to trying to raise the scoreboard and and do things that way. Can I can I give you an update from tonight's game, which may totally be redundant? So tonight's game is Perth in Cairns, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, 
I've just got an update. Shot clock's broken. No, Holgan, um, don't. It's a, a, it, that, that can't be the case. Not 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 the shot clock. <laughs> not the shot clock. But the 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 venue what I'm told is that the venue aircon units have faulted in the last oh, twenty four hours. Goodness. So there is so it's resulted in a condensation all throughout the arena, oh. including the court. And so these two teams have now been forced to, to shoot around in a different venue. And at this point, and we're recording this, it is uh, it is nearly noon, uh, Sydney time, that we are unsure if this game will, will proceed as scheduled. That is where we are. We are unsure. There is a very, there is a chance, there's a considerable chance that this will have to be rescheduled. And? Uh, so, yeah, that's fun. We did hear uh, from the NBL who released a statement. They put in the investigation. So we what we do know is... We know the rules for heat inside a stadium is around 33 degrees Celsius is when they have to call off the game. That's what we learned last <laughs> week. Now, they said that it was only 23 degrees in the arena the other week when the air conditioner wasn't going on. That's fine, uh, but uh, they didn't factor in the sweat factor. And it is a sweaty joint up in Cairns. <laughs> and if that's too dangerous uh, with the floor, obviously they're not going to be able to play. So uh, that's unbelievable. Well, we'll see what happens up there in Cairns, and uh, next week maybe we'll be able to talk about uh, another statement uh, from the league after Cairns just going through, <laughs> go, going through it at the moment. It's rough times up there. Dante Exum. Now, mm. obviously, by the time most people listen to this, there would have been a Christmas Day game, the Mavericks and the Suns, uh, but uh, pretty cool stuff through the week. He's now uh, had eight straight games where he was active. He missed one game where he didn't play, but eight straight active games where he scored in double digits. Uh, clearly, Luka Doncic is enjoying playing with him. A big reason for that is that Dante Exum's getting a lot of open looks because of what Luka's able to do. And most importantly, uh, he's knocking them down. But so much so that we understand Kyrie Irving's been out. But Jason Kidd the other day uh, in, a, in a press conference said that Dante Exum's going to stay in the starting lineup even when this team does get healthy. Now, Olds, what did we discuss last week? Potentially with Josh Green and Dante Exum and how this is all yep. going to play out. So it sounds like Dante Exum is the guy that over the last eight games has had a scoring stretch like he's never had. I think his previous high double-digit scoring run was three games in 2016 or something like that. So he's <laughs> on an absolute tear. And the fa fact that Jason Kidd now wants to keep him out on the floor, it says a lot about the trust he's been able to build with that coaching staff. Yeah, and we said it last week too, that he's just doing all the things that he needs to do. He's guarding well. He's a good, when Kyrie comes back, he's a good third ball handler for this team. He's knocking down shots. So, again, if the, the success as a role player on this team, if you are able to demonstrate their success playing next to Luca, uh, and it's not just that he's playing well, but I think they're, they're, they're playing well as a team overall. Uh, you, it's weird. When, when he's on the floor, the team, that Mavericks team, feels like it's a little bit more settled. Even when he's only with the second unit, and when he, and he's the point guard, and the ball's not in Luca's hands, you can feel that he's just like a really good veteran presence out there. So it's not just him playing alongside Luca as someone who can spot up and who can cut and who can guard, and that's obviously like that's the most important thing. But also when Luca's off the floor, he's still extremely effective. Um, where this leaves Josh Green, uh, it's I, I don't know. Uh, so presumably he'll come off the bench because. You're assuming, all right, Exum at the, we're going traditional positions, Exum at the three, Derek Jones Jr. at the four, and then uh, Lively at the at the five. So Josh Green off the bench. And I mean, I, I'm, it's, it, this, this is good for the Mavericks. This is great for the Mavericks. 
I think they I think they sign Exum as like a this this was like they were punting on it. As in if, if he works out, cool. Oh. If he doesn't, it's whatever. But for him to work out in this capacity, I think that this lifts the the floor of the team by a considerate by a considerable margin. Um and then this is just like the most obvious the obvious transition to the Buddha stuff. If Dante had the three for the Mavericks, it sounds like that's probably where Brian Corgan is heading toward for the uh, for the Olympics too. Yeah, and it's going to be the open three-point shots. We've discussed what does it look like with the Boomers. And the reality is if he's on the floor with Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving, he's not doing a lot of ball handling. But he is going to be a guy that can knock down spot-up threes. Now, I don't know where that fits. I know we've discussed with the Boomers, he would probably be asked to do more ball handling. So I think the role would be different. So it's hard to really get a read on what it would look like translating through. But uh, look, he's been so solid in Europe over the last few years that I think it was a pretty... A pretty safe bet that he would be a good uh, NBA player, but uh, maybe at this point he's exceeded expectations. Josh Green not playing in this game is uh, still out with an elbow sprain as well. So an untimely injury, and it's opened the door uh, for Dante, and he's been able to grab it, which is uh, fun to see for him after the last few years he's had. Uh, Ogden, uh, it is 7.30 p.m. on Christmas night. I'm in New York. Uh, I'm going to go out and uh, take some photos of some Christmas trees or... Uh, watch some people ice skate or do something like that. I, I don't know. I've got to. I've got to uh, fill my evening here. Do you know what you just sounded like? You just sounded like someone who is Santa in disguise, making making an excuse to go out on your sleigh. That's exactly what you just did. Just like, oh, I just got to head out for the night. No, well, pick up some book, and I'll see you in the morning. Well, like, you you sound like you sound like you are Santa. Well, it's a it's a beautiful hotel room I've got, but I would feel a little bit guilty if I was in this city and I just sat in the hotel room and watched NBA all night. So I'll come back in for the late game. I'll see what Dante Exum is up to. But uh, let's face it, Miami and Philadelphia, no one's playing anyway. So I don't need to worry about watching that game uh, because uh, no one's going to be actually on the floor. That's uh, of a superstar uh, caliber level there. So I reckon we wrap this up. Uh, shout out to us. Uh, for punching out this podcast on the Christmas day and uh, early on Boxing Day. <laughs> Olgan, uh, well done to you. I know I give you a lot of crap, but hey, this was this was superb. And I, I think that extra hour or two of sleep really just helped you bring uh, some nice stuff to the table. I will give a legitimate shout out to us for managing to get this out Thank the last you. few yes. weeks, given given we are in opposite Thailand. Um, That's right. And the fact that we've been able to be relatively consistent with this, uh, has been, I think, impressive. So yes, kudos to us. We this self-flagellation is terrific. Yeah, <laughs> I'm enjoying everyone. this, and I'm sure the listeners will enjoy this too. For anyone who hasn't turned off because they're just disgusted by the last 30 seconds of podcasting, <laughs> uh, please subscribe to the ESPN Aussie Hoops Hour if you haven't done so yet. Around this time every week, we have a podcast out. Uh, as I said, next week with the NBA, we'll get into some of the teams we didn't chat about today, but. It was an interesting schedule time, and quite honestly, it's a little bit hard to talk about the NBL right now because there are games going on every single day, so things are things are dating pretty quickly. So we kept it a bit more uh, big picture today, but we'll leave it there. Next week, a bit of a wrap-up. The 11 straight days of NBL basketball will be in the books, so we'll be able to uh, break it down, and let's face it, who knows? See what carnage has happened on the NBL standards over the last seven days. <laughs> so for Kane Pittman, for Olgan Ulich, Enjoy this period. Hopefully you're not working. Hopefully you're on holidays and uh, get to spend some time with family and friends. Uh, We'll be back next week. We appreciate you all. We'll speak to you then.